there's so many people trying to change. No one's happy with who they are. Everybody wants to change. Not me, man. I like me the way I am. You're listening to the Trinoi. I cannot stand who I am. It's so hard not to sing along to that song. Thanks for tuning in. Again, you are listening to The Drew Marshall Show, and we are streaming live at drewmarshall.ca. Anne is a blogger, a podcaster. She's the author of Reading People, How Seeing the World Through the Lens of Personality Changes Everything. And uh, she, she, she joins us all. Where are you, Anne, by the way? I'm in Louisville, Kentucky. Louisville, Kentucky. Are you, are you sipping on lemonade on the front porch? No, we saved that for summertime. <laughs> snow here yesterday. It's horrible. No way. You don't get snow in Louisville, do you really? I wish you were right. Man, that's whack. We do. As the kids well, say. Dreaming of spring and counting down till Derby. Till what? Till Derby? Till the Kentucky Derby. Oh, this is the thing. So the Kentucky Derby is here. And starting about the time where we all can't wait for the snow to melt and the sun to start shining again, we start counting down the days to the Kentucky Derby. Wow. But do you, do you, have you been to that thing? Do you have like a big fancy hat and all that stuff? I have been one time and oh. I did indeed wear a big fancy hat. <laughs> I want to go and dress in. Otherwise, what's the point? I want to go and dress in drag just to see. What do you think? You would be in excellent company. <laughs> if you're going to dress in drag, you should go to the infield because that's where the real party is. Really? Not like the posh millionaire's row with the fancy hats. No, the infield is where people like cover themselves in body paint wearing a pair of boxer shorts and an enormous hat. Whoa. Okay. All right. That sounds like uh, the Indy 500 combined with the Kentucky Derby. Uh, That sounds about right. Uh, Let me keep reading your bio. Uh, Sorry, I should do a better job of this. This is my first (laughs) first time on radio. If the viral BuzzFeed-style personality quizzes are any indication, we are collectively obsessed with the idea of defining knowing ourselves and our unique place in the world. But what we're finding is this. Knowing which Harry Potter character you are is easy. I want to stop there for a second. Really? Which is there a thing? Is that a thing? Oh, yes. Yes, this is a thing. So if if you have Facebook and Facebook knows you've ever clicked on a personality quiz link at ever any point in your life, you will eventually be shown the which Harry Potter character are you? Myers Briggs type quiz. You you know, answer eight questions and you get your character. <laughs> See eight questions. Millions of people have taken this thing. <laughs> Okay. Anyway, uh, sorry, i got to keep going. Uh, knowing which Harry Potter character you are is easy, but actually knowing yourself isn't as simple as just checking a few boxes on an online Harry Potter quiz. Eight questions. For readers who long to dig deeper into, you know, what makes them uniquely them and why that actually matters, popular blogger and and is it, it is Bogle, right? It is Bogle. Uh, has done the hard part. She's collected and explored, and now she's explaining the most popular personality frameworks like Myers-Briggs, Strengths Finders, Enneagram, and a bunch of other ones. So I, I've heard you on Ian Cron's podcast. Ian's doing the uh, Typology podcast. It's quite good. Yes. And uh, He's a pleasure to listen to and to talk to. Well, I wouldn't go that far. Um, <laughs> there's a, there's a, I, I just want to do, I, I hesitate doing what Ian did, but strengths finders? Like, well, who branded that? Why is that second S in there? No one can say that. I know. I don't know. That's the people at Gallup. Okay. So Myers-Briggs, to me, first of all, let me admit a little bit of ignorance. Okay, a whole lot of ignorance. Um, I'm just an Enneagram junkie. I remember Myers-Briggs from back, you know, 30 years ago when... 
I was hanging out with men's groups, and they were trying to get people to learn who they were and all the. But it was too hard to remember, and it was too sterile, and it was too corporate, and it was too business success oriented kind of stuff. And I didn't give a holy grunt about any of those things. But this Enneagram deal, I mean, I've had Richard Rohr in the show, and I've had uh, uh, folks from the Enneagram Institute, Russ and, and, and the gang, and man, I totally get it. And I wonder what the difference is. So you know nothing, you know nothing, uh, it's a quote from an old TV show, about me. Why, <laughs> why, why do you think somebody likes the Enneagram more than Myers-Briggs? What is it? Well, I think some people naturally find themselves resonating with one system more than the other, or because of their life experience, or because they had coffee with a friend who was raving about the Enneagram, say, or they happened to catch a podcast because they heard a certain episode was really good. They've, that's the connection they need to, like, dive in further. Um, I do know that the Enneagram is really having a moment right now in Christian circles and in especially Christian spirituality, okay. whereas you're right, like, Myers-Briggs has been used for ages in more, like, corporate, collegiate settings. But it has been said that Myers-Briggs, I mean, they both address your strengths and your weaknesses as people, but Myers-Briggs is a little more focusing on the positive, where the Enneagram is like, oh, hey, let's very clearly define exactly what is terribly, horribly wrong. Oh, dude, that's why I like it. That's why I like the Enneagram. (laughs) Okay, you nailed it. I got it. Yeah, because anything that's too earnest just makes me have a little vomit in the back of my throat, and... I think that's maybe why I like the Enneagram. So strengths finders, I just hate saying it. Um, I, what, what is it? I don't know. I don't, I'm sorry. I should have done more research before I got you on the show, but I, I didn't have time. What, what was it? Or what is it? Okay. If you think Myers-Briggs was corporate, strengths finder is very much more so. It's a system that was defined by the people at, um, it's a Clifton strength finder, actually. Um. It's designed by the people at Gallup. And it was designed for use in the corporate workplace setting, especially with teams who work together in large organizations. And there are 30-something themes that you could potentially develop into areas of, like, massive, enormous talent and skill in your life. And what the strength finder does is isolate five that you are most likely to be able to become amazing at. And in a team setting, why this is so effective is it helps everybody see what they bring to the organization. And also, they aren't really explicit about that. But if there's 30-something themes and you only have five, clearly you are relying on your coworkers every minute of every day to bring those remaining 30-plus skills that you don't have to the table. So it helps people see where they fit in an organization, where they can channel their self-improvement efforts to like really turn those potential areas of strength into bona fide, like you are awesome at this strength. And it also helps you see what everyone else is doing, because if we don't get it, we tend to give it short shrift. Yeah, right, 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 right. Okay. Um, you also, I'm just looking at your chapter title, so you dive into the five love languages. Uh, Gary, of course, has been on the show a million times. And Gary, if anybody has come up with something and then figured out every angle on how to explore <laughs> that thing that they that he's come up with i mean there's five love languages for couples for for date for i don't know for everything there's just seems to be a lot of love language books but the, the, it's the amazing yeah the, like at the denver airport there was there was an end cap that had like 12 different versions of the five love languages Whoa. I was really impressed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, look, the love languages thing has been has been quite helpful as well. I think that applies mostly to um, 
I think most people are doing it because they want to slap their spouse across the back of the head, right? I mean, their their husband, because guys aren't allowed to do that. So if a wife wants to smack, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so five love languages is certainly a way in. Yeah. 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 So love languages. Uh, what was it? Uh, so here's my love language. I think, if I remember this correctly, was um, quality time. That's my primary love language. Quality time, and then words of affirmation. I don't give a holy grunt if someone gives me a gift. I don't care if someone um, helps, I don't know, helps me vacuum the house or whatever. So that's acts of service, gifts, quality time, physical touch. I'm a guy, so yeah, that's duh. Um, what's but yours, Chapman by the way? is very clear that that's not what it means. The what? I said Chapman is very clear that that's not what he's talking about. Well, yeah, no, it's not. No, no, hold on. Oh, I said what I know, but I didn't explain what I said. So I didn't mean I like sex. What I was meaning was I, I'm a tactile person, so yeah. I notice if somebody puts their hand on my shoulder or touches my arm. I'm like, I remember, what was her name? Oh, in grade seven. Linda Sagmeister. There's a name. And we touched elbows at the planetarium one time on a school trip, and I fell in love because she touched my elbow with her elbow. Yeah, he really talks about how the physical touch people are really... Um, Oh, sensual isn't quite the the note I want to strike here, but they are really tactile. Like they appreciate the fur blankets and the like hand created paper that's all ripply and wrinkled. Like they they love that stuff that you can feel and touch. What is now? I'm trying to remember because I I do have some cheat notes from listening to your interview with Ian. Um, are you a nine? I am a nine. So on the Enneagram scale, you're a nine. Tell everyone what a nine is, because it's such insider language, and other people are like, oh, shut up. You're a number, whatever. This is like true confessions, because I feel like if you would ask me my Myers-Briggs type, I'd be like, oh, it's whatever. But your Enneagram type is like, oh, hey, Ann, tell us exactly how you're horribly, miserably broken. <laughs> like, that's how it feels. Yeah. But yeah. I am a nine. It's that I, it means that my besetting sin as Richard Rohr would put it, that's his terminology, is sloth, inclined to laziness, which I didn't get for a long time because I am not a lazy person, but I'm lazy about personal boundaries. And my propensity is just to keep everyone happy and give them what they want. Um, uh, Hudson and Rousseau call this type the peacemaker. Like, we just like to keep the peace at all costs. Yeah. And we really don't like to um, ruffle feathers. We don't want people to be unhappy. Like, conflict makes us want to go curl up in a ball in the corner. And we tend to just give everybody else what they want instead of even even knowing what we want for ourselves. So, you know, true confessions. Well, and of course, that would make you very interested in um, all of these personality typing things because you're interested in in placating everyone. <laughs> <laughs> but the journey of the nine is to keep from placating everyone and to learn how to work for figuring out what you want and carrying that out in your life. Yeah. Instead of just being like tossed along, like what is it, like a wave on the ocean or something like that? Yeah, yeah. Um, how is being a, an Enneagram 9, and as uh, the uh, Hudson Russo gang would call it, the uh, peacemaker, how is being a peacemaker, how does that impact? Wait, are you married? Do you have a, are you in a relationship or you know, something like that? I am married. Okay. Mm-hmm. And I, for almost 20 years, and I have four kids. Okay. So you're married, but you're not in a relationship. Okay. <laughs> uh, That's not what I meant to say. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, how has that impacted? What are you married to, by the way? I know a dude or what? Well, I don't know that maybe, but what number? What, what Enneagram type? You know, I have 
firmly resisted plunging him into into conversations like, like this making him <laughs> no exactly exactly because nobody can determine your type but you and i don't want to be like look dude i wrote a book about this i really like this is your homework i need it by thursday so so he hold on he hasn't he hasn't typed himself uh <laughs> you know maybe he has but i've been afraid to ask i think he's a five or a six Okay. All right. All right. All right. Um, so, as an Enneagram Nine, which is a peacemaker, and I'm sure for all the peacemakers out there, you know, in the world that are, they're just they they don't like conflict, and they what they want gets lost in trying to take care of everyone else's wants. I mean, I, I don't know how else you describe. There's many other ways to describe it. You, one of you, but how has it helped you in love, and how has it stung you or hurt you in love? Ooh. Well, it's held me in love because as a nine, if, if you've ever seen the Enneagram diagram, I know you have, Drew, um, we are standing right up at the top of the circle, like kind of surveying everything. And nines have a more so than any other, nines have a little bit of every type in them. And it's very easy for nines to imagine what it might be like to be any of those different types. So just the ability to um, naturally, and I think I cultivate it too, like to understand where other people are coming from and to imagine what it might be like to be in their shoes and to generally be pretty willing to go along with what the other person wants. Um, I think that makes it pretty great to be in relationship with a nine. Mm. Um, I mean, of course. Well, unless you're a four and you want to talk about inside deep stuff all the stinking time. Oh, nines can do deep. They can definitely do this. Yeah? Yeah, oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I think so. Is that not your experience with the nines in your life? Uh, changing topics. Um, <laughs> so, you know, a lot of this is really just, well, it boils down to people changing, okay? And I really kind of have this mindset, or I, I guess I used to have this mindset because I have to face the reality that I have really changed myself in so many ways. So I, for most of my life, felt that, Eh, people don't really change. The core of who they are, eh, they don't really, really change. And I guess that's true in some ways. You stay similar, but you grow in the areas you need to grow in, hopefully, if you're a healthy person who's growing. And you learn to actively deflate your traps, the backside of your gifts. And so I guess what I'm, what I'm actually asking here is, what are the top to change agents of all of these things. You just wrote a book covering all of these sort of typing systems. And mm-hmm. and so let me let me answer it and then that'll give you a better idea of the actual question I'm asking because I think I just slaughtered <laughs> the question. Um, I read somewhere the other day that said uh, somebody really changes as a result of awareness or brokenness. What do you think are key factors in genuine authentic change? I really like your two, and to that I would add their perception of their own identity. The statement, I am the kind of person who, or I am, like whatever you put in that blank, it's incredibly powerful. Mm-hmm. Why? It changes the way we see the world. Um, like studies show that the most likely time for women to quit smoking and stop other addict I mean, genuinely physiologically addictive behaviors is when they find out they're pregnant and suddenly they're not just a person in the world on their own you know they are a mother like they're and that that shift in identity changes the way they interact with everything Mm -hmm. but i mean you don't have to be female 
of childbearing age to have that kind of thing. Um, we tell ourselves smaller versions of this all the time. Like, I'm the kind of person who doesn't let my friends down. I'm the kind of person who gets places five minutes early. I am the kind of person who values, like, waking up at 5 a.m. and praying every morning. Like, these ways we see ourselves um, really impact not just how we think, but how we act. Yeah, I think anecdotally for myself, a key factor for the change that I've experienced in the last year has been just a microcosm of a, of a shift in awareness that is so simple. And I'm sure everyone else has already gotten this long time before I did. It's, it's taken me 51 years to figure this out. Is that when I, I'm not an idiot. I know when I'm being an idiot. And I remember it and I take the big stick and I beat myself up. And I have this shame cycle that happens, and I'm able to, no one can poop on me better than me. I am the best self-pooper in the world. That just sounded weird. Um, <laughs> but but this, this, this uh, Enneagram stuff has helped me kind of do this. Now, just see if you, if you get this. Instead of going, oh, Marshall, you're such an idiot, I now say, ugh, dude, you're such a four, and I laugh at it. Does that, yeah. did I answer, am I? I've Am I just weird for, for thinking things? Uh, it seems no, so simple. I don't think so. I've had that experience myself as a nine. Um, I didn't know what my type was for a long time, but like finally being able to clarify my type came when I could recognize the way I'd act in stressful situations, you know, where there was, where I could do something stupid. And um, do I have to say self poop was involved? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, in your very official <clears throat> terminology. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, it, no, it has also been extremely um, freeing for me to like something could happen that because I'm a nine, I let's say I had to make a decision that involved disappointing people is a nine. That would be devastating oh, yeah, to me, like yeah. really, really devastating, like paralyzing. Under, yes. Yeah, and just like awful, just awful. Like, let me go like take a nap for six days before <laughs> I have to go face the world again. And when I'm talking about clinical depression, we're just feeling like horrible in the moment. But once I understood I was a nine and that I was naturally going to have a very difficult time disappointing people, and that could be healthy or that could be unhealthy, but you know, I've grown a little, that's, that's part of the Enneagram journey. But knowing that as a nine, that comes really difficult for me. I can tell myself, hey, I'm a nine. This is gonna feel gross right now, but I'm not just feeling bad for no reason. I know exactly what is going on hmm. and I know it's going to pass and I've been through this before and this is normal. It's not awesome but it's normal, and that's huge. We are chatting with Ann Bogle. She is a blogger, and here's the blog, modernmrsdarcy.com, podcaster. She's the author of Reading People, How Seeing the World Through the Lens of Personality Changes Everything. Can you do uh, – you, you said how many children do you have again? I have four. So, like, do you get bored easy? Why do you – your life is crazy. <laughs> Well, you know, I'm also an INFP. Um, I, I like to... Now, what does that like mean? What does that mean? See, I, I, I remember yeah, I bailed on Myers-Briggs 100 years ago because it was too technical for me. So what? You're a what, what? I'm an INFP. Right. I'm an introverted, intuitive, feeling, perceiver. And what? all those words mean things, and they're probably... I mean, they're not the, like, standard cultural definition either. So that does make it a little tricky before you learn the Myers-Briggs lingo. But I, um, I, I really love variety. I think it's so fun to learn all the things and, um, yeah, love taking on new projects and all that. And something I have learned is that my 
personal inclination is to take on all the projects. So part of my journey and like developing self-awareness and, um, you know, just being reflective about the life I'm living through learning about personality types is to realize what I'm naturally inclined to do and learn basically how to channel that for good and not for self-destruction. Do you have a lot of unfinished projects? You know, I really don't, but I used to. I used to be a wonderful starter and a horrible finisher. But just knowing that this is what I'm inclined to do, so let's think about how to follow through from the beginning, has been huge for me. Mm -hmm. Uh, 15 years ago, I would have said, oh, heck yeah, all over the place. Really? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Because starting, starting new, shiny, exciting things, is fun um you know but finishing is just a lot of detail work and you know who wants who wants to spend time on the details we don't need lots of people do lots of people do but i don't so i now i have a lot of those detail-oriented people in my life and i love them and i'm grateful for them on the line with ann bogle and if you had to pick one i'm going to ask you the question that is just an irritating irritating question to be asked if you had to pick one sort of personality typing kind of system thing, which one would it be? Just to hunker down with, that's all you were going to look at for the rest of your life. Pick one. Ready, go. The one that I would want or yeah. the ones that I would recommend to others? Oh, oh, come on. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to pick the Enneagram because the past couple of years that has been uh, huge for me. But, like, for the season before that, season of years, Myers-Briggs was amazing. And I I wouldn't understand myself and I wouldn't be at the level I am and understand the Enneagram if I hadn't had that experience. Right, right, right. Okay. And no. then I want to recommend three more that I think people should know about all the time. So it's just, that's a really hard question. Okay, three more. Go. What are they? Oh, I think everybody should find out what a highly sensitive person, what it means to be one, if they are one, if they have highly sensitive people in their life. So that's a physiological thing. It doesn't have to do with being touchy or emotional, but understanding what it means and how it affects you is like this light switch that changes everything you do. Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I know a really, I've got a perfect example. Everyone probably can think of someone in their world. They go, oh man, I know this person. They're crazy, highly sensitive. They have so many triggers and and then walls and, and they get their knickers in a knot over everything. Am I even close to what you're talking about or no? I don't think so. Well, oh. I mean, that's certainly overlap. I don't think so. Mm. But we're talking about more like, well, because they do get a bad rap because people don't understand what it means to be highly sensitive. It just sounds like you're really high maintenance and touchy, and that's not necessarily it. Uh-oh. So, like, this manifested at a very <clears throat> early age, and people do have different triggers, but we're talking about the kid who cannot stand to wear, like, a wool sweater against oh. his skin or the seams in his tube socks, or if, uh, if the lights are too loud. No. If the lights are too bright or the movie is too loud, they feel like their whole being is crumpling. Um, their their nervous system is more sensitive than the other 80 to 85 percent of the population, and they just are taking in a lot more input than they can handle because their their receptors are so finely tuned. Isn't that so, autism? Thing. No, no, no. We're just talking about. Oh, Elaine Aaron has this great description about oranges coming down the conveyor belt. I, I won't tell you now on, on air, but it, it's in my book, Reading People. There's a chapter that's like 20 pages that could truly change your life. Um, no, we're talking about, okay, I am a highly sensitive person, and so I know this about me. If one of my children tries to tell me an important important story while the radio is playing music with words, with lyrics, yeah, you can't in listen. my brain, 
I, yeah, I just, I can't hear anything. And my brain is like, oh, make it all stop. Um, or highly sensitive people, um, children, this isn't typically something you grow out of, but you'll have a kid who cannot think to breathe if the seams on his socks are in the wrong place. Yeah. I had a daughter like that. I think she grew out of it, but yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. I mean, these examples are, can be just every, man, I'm all over the place with it. Okay. What are the other two? What are the other two? (laughs) Introversion, extroversion for sure, which is kind of folded into Myers-Briggs, but you know, not entirely. Okay. And the final one. I still have to pick just one. Yep. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep. For people who do find Myers-Briggs overwhelming, you know, 16 types, too much information, the words yes. don't mean what you think they yes, mean. Yes, exactly. I really recommend David Kiersey's four temperaments. He, the letters are the same, but there aren't as many. There are only four of them. And it's a lot easier for people to grasp what the heck everybody is talking about yep. when there are only four. Like, they're broader categories to think in. It's much easier to see yourself and the people you know and love and live with and work with in Kiersey's four temperaments because your options are smaller. But, um, oh, just like as a parent, as a person involved in a romantic relationship, as a person who needs to manage myself to actually get things done during the day, Kiersey's temperaments have been huge in understanding those things. Ann Bogle on the line with us. She is the author of Reading People, How Seeing the World Through the Lens of Personality Changes Everything. Her website is modernmrsdarcy.com. And have you heard of Landmark? No, what is that? Uh, it's too hard to explain right now. Uh, I just was going to go there in that conversation, if you knew. But it was another sort of, um, I call it, um, no, I can't say what I call it on air. I call it how not, <laughs> how not, to, how to recognize what a jerk you've been. How's that? That sounds very clickable. Yeah. So I need to make a quiz. Yeah, <laughs> I know. What kind of Harry Potter is the biggest jerk, or Harry Potter character? Now, uh, th- there's a lot of God people who would, they're, they would balk at this stuff because they go, eh, pop psychology, everything you need is in the Bible. You don't need anything else. Your response? I think that all truth is God's truth. And while these don't encapture, encapsulate the truth, they can still say something that is true about us. And I just love that verse that says, you know, awake sleeper, like, Mm. Let let the light shine on you, and you will no longer be in the dark. And I am I just combined like fourteen translations. But I feel like <laughs> these personality tools is like shining a flashlight into the murky corners of our soul. And once once those dark things that we kind of rather like push under the bed, once they're exposed, we can actually address them and do something about them. Also, when the light is shining on them, they're not nearly as like nasty and scary and cobwebby. Yeah, yeah. so cobwebby. I that's like what it. I think. I mm-hmm. like it. All right, let me finish with this. Any, any, I don't know, are you even allowed to be this honest? Are there any dangerous ones out there that are just like hokum? The 40s called, they want their word back. <laughs> um, you know, some people say it's dangerous, and I think sometimes people think the Enneagram must be a cousin to the Pentagram, and they start freaking out. Yeah, um, no. I, well, there there is a big fear that like, oh, if I start, focusing on my personality, I'll just be like narcissistic and navel gazing and self-obsessed. Um, I don't, I haven't found that to be the case though. And really anybody like, uh, really diving into why you do what you do. Isn't a lot of fun. Mm. So most people don't do it just for kicks. I think, I think the biggest fear is, I mean, that I have is that like, you'll read a book and you'll think it's fine and then you won't do anything about it. 
how about this? This isn't just like some fun um, knowledge for knowledge's sake kind of pursuit. Um, there's so much potential for like real personal growth and change if you're approaching it from the right perspective. I will say that um, something I got wrong for many, many years is I was as I approached anything personality, I was always focused on how I wanted to be, not how I actually was. And you have to know who you are before you oh, can good call. strive to be something different. Really good so, call. Yep. Yeah, because even especially when you're answering all the you know the, the quizzes or whatever before, and if you're answering the quiz like in your brain you're going, who would I like to be? You know, ideally, this is yeah. me. Then you're just going to screw it up. You need to be, if you can't be authentic. And the other thing is, you've got to be in a space where you are looking, you're wanting to look inside. Like, I know people who've done the Enneagram, and they got the stuff, and they went, oh, okay, that's nice. And they just sat on the shelf for a year or two or three or whatever. And then they go back and do it again, and like, wow, I never saw that before. There's something about the the um, the usability of the soul. The soul's just got to be in the right place at the right time. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. Like something that doesn't speak to you now could be the exact thing you need to hear yep. in, you know, down the road. Yeah, yeah. Just for like a very pragmatic fear warning thing, so many people will find one of these types that I talk about in reading people, they'll find a quiz online and they'll take it, they'll answer, you know, they'll answer 10 questions on an internet quiz, it'll take them 60 seconds, they'll get the result, they'll read the description, and they'll be like, huh, I don't know if this really does anything for me. And I just want to say, my warning is about those online quizzes, like, they are a starting point, yeah. they are not your answer. Yeah, they're, they're not exactly the most helpful thing. I mean, they're supposed to be a teaser, but some of them are just like, meh. That's a technical term. That's when I studied Greek and Hebrew. I came up with meh. Um, I never remember how to spell that right. No, <laughs> me neither. Is there a emoticon for that? Emoji. Wait, what's the difference between an emoji and a emoticon, uh, Shauna, the intern? Is it? Can you tell me? Yeah. What? The emojis are the picture. The emojis are the pictures, and emoticons are like colon slash slash. Oh, okay. Yeah. I'm too old for this. I didn't know that. Yeah, I didn't know that either. We both learned from the kids. And thank you so much for being a nine and for <laughs> for for writing this book. I mean, it's a great summation of, of, uh, of a lot of things, and uh, it's a timely, timely book. Again, the book is called Reading People, How Seeing the World Through the Lens of Personality Changes Everything. And again, the website is modernmissdarcy.com. What a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Bye-bye.